0: Over the last several weeks, uh, since the beginning of January, we began a study on this Let Your Light So Shine. This has all been based out of Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16, and as we study this together, I'm reminded of the kind of the journey we've been on together uh, so far, and we recognize, first and foremost, the power is in the message. Remember, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, uh, for it is the power the power of, uh, of the uh, is found in the message of it and so we're thankful for that and the opportunity we have to be able to grow together in Christ and so we also learned a couple weeks ago we are without excuse and so uh, we saw in the parable of the sower that went out to sow uh, that uh, the 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 seed contained the power, and uh, then we saw in the sower that he had no excuse, simply he had to go. He had to be part of that. And then we also saw in his life, uh, or in that parable, the different types of soil. And the message, is: we share the message, it goes to all kinds of people at all different types of uh, stages of life. And even uh, other men have written books about this. Uh, I, I just was reminded of a book in my library entitled The Unchurched Next Door by Tom Rayner, And he talks about the tif- different types of people that we share the gospel with. And is similar to Christ's parable uh, of the different soils of the heart. And, and what a great encouragement it's been. But I want to remind you that today we're living in the age of a great harvest. There is literally a harvest that is going on around the world today Uh, nearly every week one of our missionaries missionary fidel recall he sends me a message on messenger and he reminds me that even though he hasn't been able to meet in person at church god has been giving him fruit in the ministry Some weeks it's 30 has been saved, some weeks it's 5 has been saved, and almost weekly I, I, I am able to hear from Him and how God is blessing in the ministry as they continue to sow the seed and they continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. All He has done is He's allowed God to let His light so shine before men, and they have glorified His Father, which is in heaven, by accepting Christ as their Savior. What an incredible thing God has done there in the missionary field of the Philippines. And God is adding to the church, and the church is not able to meet in His area, but they are growing uh, incredibly rapidly. And so we're thankful for that. I'm thankful for the harvest that we are able to to see around the world. But he's not the only missionary. I think about missionary George Zemokos who is in Greece and as he is working there in Athens and God is blessing them as they build their, their first building and they've seen countless Muslims come to Jesus Christ and and they are building lives and they're building buildings and God is using their energetic and bold witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, these stories can be told around the world time and time and time again. If we were to take, if we could know the statistics of the underground church in China, we would be, able to, we would be amazed by the rapid spread of this incredible Chinese church today. And I just want to encourage you that there are times of sowing and there's times of reaping. And there's going to be times where we uh, do a lot of planting of the seed, and there also there's going to be times where we do a lot of harvesting. And I believe that this is a time of harvest, which is so important for us to be able to focus on how, how we can have a personal witness in a time of great harvest. And so as we look at this, I want to encourage you that we live in a post-Christian society, which means that... Today, as Christians, we have the opportunity to share the gospel with more people than ever before. And as we catch a vision I, for this need in our own country, in our own back door, in our own neighborhoods, that God would also give us a heart for winning the lost souls of those around us. And so, today, uh, we're going to finish up some of the uh, the preliminary lessons in regards to uh, developing a heart for. Uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Starting next week, we begin a little bit more practical lessons. So, as beginning with just how to share the gospel very plainly, very simply, just how to share the gospel. From there, we go on to uh, dealing with questions and and, and uh, how to answer some questions that we are facing from the Bible and what does the Bible say about different things that people bring up. And then we will look at specifically how do we win those who have been blinded by Satan in a man-made religions around the world. And and this is these. Religions from around the world are in our own backyard today. No longer, I mentioned a second ago, we live in a post-Christian society. We can no longer claim that we as a nation uh, are predominantly Christian. I believe that we're seeing more and more influence of those other uh, non-Christian religions. And as a result, we have to be ready to share the truth and also to share this truth specifically with some of these. And so let's look together. If you'll join with me in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 10, I want to see that God has called us in this to be personally invested, You see, not every Christian is called to be a pastor. Not every Christian is called to be a foreign missionary. And not every Christian is called to be a public teacher in in a classroom. And I'm so thankful. If you missed I Love My Church Sunday uh, and the kickoff of our connection groups, you missed a blessing. And I want to invite you to be here this Sunday. Uh, They're calling for warmer temperatures. They're calling for some rain so there's nothing you can do in your yard. So come here, be with us, and make a plan to be part of the Sunday school classes we have going on right here on uh, at Hillside on this Sunday morning. But every Christian is called to go to others with the gospel, to personally deliver the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our call. It's not just a preacher call or missionary call. It's all of us have been called for this purpose. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 10 says, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. How true that is. And as we, as we begin this evening, I want to ask you to stop with me. Let's pray. Ask God to bless uh, our message this evening. Ask God to help open our hearts and to really to be convicted regarding the personal commitment God is calling us to make here tonight. And so let's stop and pray together. Father, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you most of all for the gospel Lord, what a glorious thing you've given us. I think about uh, the good news that uh, we have contained in the Word of God, that though I am a sinner, there is a God who loves me enough to send His only begotten Son into the world that we might have eternal life. God, we thank you for this joyful message, this message of hope through life, uh, hope and life through his death. And I pray that, Lord, you would make us courageous, make us bold witnesses for Jesus Christ in an age where this world so desperately needs the hope that we have. And so may you be blessed, Lord, I pray. May you be honored. May you lead in hearts. And though we're not assembled together in a, uh, a visible format today, I pray that, Lord, even in our homes where people are gathering with their families, that, God, we are encouraged. We were strengthened. And we are committed. Thank you for your uh, your son, Jesus Christ. In His name, we pray. Amen. Okay, so why should we be personally invested? Why should we choose to make a personal commitment <clears throat> into sharing the gospel? First off, <coughs> excuse me, a soul is eternal. God created the human soul. In his very own image, we read this in Genesis chapter one, in verse twenty-seven. He says, "So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them." Among other things, this means that our soul is eternal, and so since we have an eternal soul, uh, we realize that we're going to live forever. We just need to know where that's going to be. I like that old that uh, that gospel song. I'm already living forever uh, since I've had the second birth. It's a a good song. But since we look at this, we see since sin entered the world, though, our bodies decay and die. And many of us, we feel this. We have been shoveling snow for the last two days, uh, some for our shut-ins and some here around the church, as we hoped that we would be able to have in-person services tonight. But I feel the effects of a body that's decaying. And as I think about that, I want to remind you, though, our souls never die. This body, this outward form, is going to one day be planted in the ground, but my soul will go on and live forever. Even the best life on earth that ends without Christ will bring the worst eternity. You see, this is Jesus pointed this out in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36 for what shall it profit a man? if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. This is why we must remember that every single person that we ever meet has an eternal soul. Secondly, we must remember that heaven and hell are real. Think about this. Uh, we, we know in our mind that heaven and hell are real. If you're a believer today, this is the reason that you accepted Christ as your Savior because you didn't want to go to hell and you wanted to go to heaven to be with God eternally. And as we th- we think about this, that means our soul will live eternally in one of these two places. And the Bible is clear that there only, are only two places. There is no such thing as purgatory in the Bible There's no such thing as any kind of a waiting place. There is only a heaven and a hell. And it mentions these as literal places. Jesus spoke often of both of these places. In fact, He spoke more often of hell than of heaven. And, you know, some people want want us to believe that hell is not a real place, that it's not something we have to worry about, it's just made up. But I'm telling you that Jesus Christ spoke about it and He he, uh, preached about it as if it was literal. And He gave us a glimpse into two men's experience in eternity. And I invite you to look in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. And in Luke chapter 16, we see the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And in this account, we see as Jesus Christ depicts for us some important truths about heaven and hell. We're going to pick up the narrative in verse 22. It says, And it came to pass... That the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. What a sad commentary of a man's life. This man died and was buried. Oftentimes we preach funerals of people just like that. This, Here lies the body of so-and-so. And that's all there is. There's no hope. There's no encouragement. And that's exactly what happened. As a matter of fact, he picks up in verse 23 and he says, And in hell, we're talking about the rich man, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that I may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. You see, Jesus Christ teaches of the reality of both heaven and hell in this situation. And as we look at this, we see that there is a literal place. The Bible in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 15 uh, describes this. And he says, "...and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire..." He describes this as such, and I want you just to see that Scripture plainly states that those who do not, do not trust Christ as their Savior will spend an eternity in this lake of fire we call hell today. And those who receive you know, Christ's gift of salvation, though, spend an eternity in heaven. What a great news! He says in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-5, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept not by your power, not by the preacher's power, not by anybody else, but by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time you see heaven and hell are real sometimes as Christians though we tend to forget that every single person every soul every person we encounter will spend an eternity in one of these two places family our friends our neighbors our co-workers the grocery store clerk the guy walking his dog, every person, they will spend an eternity somewhere. And when we can get a hold of that realization, and we can come to that, that conviction that those people that I encounter on a daily basis are eternal souls that will spend an eternity somewhere, it transforms our desire. And we we desire to be personally invested in soul winning. Thirdly, I want you to see that Jesus is the only way. This is another reason why we choose to personally invest in uh, in witnessing and choose to personally invest in soul winning, is because Christ is the only way. The Welsh poet and pastor John Dyer said: a man may go to heaven without wealth, without riches, without honors, without learning, without friends. But he can never go there without Christ. You see, if you are saved, there was a time in your life when you realized that Christ was the only way and only hope of salvation. You turn from your selfish efforts, you turn from your own abilities and to, to save yourself, and you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. If you were trusting in a baptism, if you were trusting in a church membership, if you were trusting in your good works, you said, these things will not cut it. It is only by the name of Jesus Christ that I can be saved. Unfortunately, though, today we live in a pluralistic society, and it has embraced a multiplicity of religions. And so all different people, and they reject Christ, because he is exclusive. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's exclusive. He says, there's one way. There's not a multiplicity of ways. There's not uh, this, not Jesus, and it's Jesus only. And when we see this, Uh, we realize that God is calling us to come under this conviction that Jesus is the only way. So someone says, you know, I go to church and I'll be fine. You know, that's not fine. It is only Jesus. It's only Him. Most people don't mind if Christians are content to be one of many valid options. But when we stand with Peter like in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, and we declare that Christ is the only way of salvation, we can become the object of their hate. He says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, in the midst of a world that said all roads lead to heaven, it's easy to want to bend our message. It's easy to want to agree with people that we love. But the fact is that Christ is the only way to heaven. Fourthly, I want to remind you... ...the reason we get personally involved is because we can make a difference. Sometimes we look at the 7 billion, almost 8 billion world people in the world... ...and we think there is no way that my little witness can make a difference. If we will be a consistent witness for Christ... We must allow these three convictions to drive our heart and life. The conviction that every soul is eternal, the conviction that Jesus is the only way, and that every eternal soul will either land in heaven or hell. And the reality that eternal souls are potentially leading to heaven or hell should cause us to desire to be personally invested. Because listen, your witness can make a difference. Maybe not for seven billion, but you can make a difference for one. And this year, I want to just just cast a vision that every one of us can win one for Jesus Christ. We can do it. We can each become personally involved and invested in the Great Commission. Because listen, it is a personal commission. We call it the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, but it is really a personal commission. You ever thought about why you're here? If you're a parent, and I'm a parent of four children you may say your purpose is to raise godly children that glorify God with their lives. And that's a great purpose statement. Maybe it is, if you're a nurse, it may be that your purpose is to offer care for people who are hurting and in their time of need in such a way that they see Christ in you. Man, what a great, great purpose statement. But Christ shared His in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. He says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I've shared this with you multiple times over the last two years because I believe it's important that we catch a vision for what Christ has shared with us here is that our job is to seek and to save the lost and to carry on His commission because I belong to Him. And just as a a plug-in for the message on Sunday, we're going to see His authority in our life We're going to see His ability to commission us comes from His authority. But Jesus didn't come to be admired or revered. He came for souls. He came to seek and to save the lost. In His earthly ministry, we see Jesus devoted His time to those who knew they needed salvation. We, uh, and we remember even when the Pharisees criticized Him for spending time with those who had a sinful reputation because in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, He says, And when Jesus heard it, He saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was willing to rearrange His entire schedule just to share the gospel. Think about this. There are a couple of instances in the Bible I want to point out. In John chapter 4, we see that Jesus said he must needs go through Samaria. As a Jew, it was common for them to go around Samaria to get down to the southern part of Israel because they didn't want to defile themselves with the Samaritans. But Jesus said, listen, I have a purpose to go through Samaria. I have a reason to rearrange my schedule because I want to share the gospel. And he met with a woman at the well there, and her life was completely transformed. But not just her. Others in that town as well were transformed as well. Later in Mark chapter 10, we see he pauses a whole procession of people that were following him just to talk to a blind Bartimaeus. You see, Jesus chose to structure His life around reaching people with the gospel. Do we care? Do we see this, this purpose in His life? And ultimately, we see that Jesus came to give His life for our sins. Mark chapter 10, and verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus did this when He shed His blood on the cross for us. And then He rose three days later... And before, but before He sent it into heaven, He left us with instructions to reach the world. And that's what we're going to focus on here this evening. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We know this. We're familiar with it as a church. Uh, and and it's, we call it the Great Commission. But in this is a personal commission. We recognize it's our church commission, but it's also my personal commission. It says in verse, 20, in verse 18, There's four parts I want to point out very briefly. This is by way of a reminder for those of you uh, who have been in church for a while. I just want to remind us of this because sometimes we can grow complacent or apathetic, not intentionally, just because we've become distant with, uh, with this commission. And as we develop a burden for the lost, it's important that we review this commission that God has given us and we choose to be personally uh, commissioned for this, for this call. First off, we see the command to go. Look in the very first of that. He says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. You see, the command is prefaced with uh, and and based on this significant statement, all power is given unto me. Now, this is is an incredible thing because Christ, he he tells us that he has all power. I still hear Brother Tim saying, all power. And uh, maybe maybe if you remember him, you can remember him and and just just getting so excited about that word. But that word uh, in the Greek has the connotation not only to might, but also authority. You see, Christ has the authority to commission us to go. You know, over the years I've had some great bosses. I remember working with Pastor Tolbert from 2006 all the way through... Uh, until he retired in 2018. And all through those years as we worked and labored together, I, I just d- had this desire. I said, I, I told Pastor Tober, I said, anything I can do to, to make your job easier, anything I can do to make, and essentially, I want you to look good as my boss. And so he had the authority to tell me to, to do something. And so I, I said, okay, whatever you need me to do. Now, there were obviously in every situation, you have times of, uh, of uh, miscommunication that comes from uh, frustration, but it, I recognized his authority as my boss, as the, my employer, as the one who is over me. Well, Christ has even greater authority in our life because not only is he the Savior, but he's also eternally God. And as God, he has authority. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 reminds us that He's bought us with a price. That price was paid on the cross. And so I remind you tonight, as we look at the gospel and we look at the truth of His word, that we are reminded that Jesus has the authority to command us to go. Because when we purpose to go with the gospel, we do it with the assurance that all power... Now, all the power of God is behind us. So we have a might, we have authority. He commands us to go, we're told to go. But he also says, listen, all of the the power that is contained in me as God goes with you. What an encouraging thing. Have you ever been intimidated by sharing the gospel? Sure, I have too. But Jesus isn't asking us just to say, uh, just to do it on our own power, on our own ability. He says, listen, you can do this through me, through my power, through my ability. And he's telling you, you can do this. And Paul wrote later in to the book of, Philipp, uh, in the book of Philippines, Philippians, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Listen, you can witness through the name of Christ. You can do it because Christ has the power. You can do this because He is the authority. He has the might. And He is the one that calls us to go. And as a result, we have the, uh, the might and the authority to be able to go in His name. Secondly, second part of this we see is the call to win. The second part in that verse is, And teach all nations. Now, in the Great Commission, there are two teaches. The first teach deals with, Proclaiming or preaching the gospel—it's what we do. We witness of all that Jesus has done, and so this teach, this word teaches, is, is just referring to sharing the gospel. Mark chapter sixteen and verse fifteen, which is our theme for this this uh, series. He says, "And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature." Same word is used, preach, teach, to, come, to go out, to, to proclaim, to tell the world that Jesus Christ is the hope of all mankind. And so no, we're not only going, but we're going with the intent to lead someone to Christ. Now that's important. When we share the gospel, what is our intent? Just to share the gospel, or do we want them to be able to put their faith in Jesus Christ? When a farmer goes out to sow his field, he doesn't sow his field or put his seed in the in the the harv- in the ground and say, Well, I've done my job, I'm done. He goes with the intent that there will one day be a harvest, that those those seeds will one day sprout, these beautiful corn plants, and he'll be able to pluck the ears of the corn and feed his family through the winter. You see, with that same intent, that same expectation, we go with the hope of sharing the gospel. That God would help us to be able to. Plant that seed in the good soil of the heart. Thirdly, we see God's called us to baptize. Now, this is, uh, the, the scripture goes on, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Our job doesn't end the moment someone bows their head and puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. In fact, that's really when our job just begins. Just like when a mother gives birth to a child, she doesn't, she doesn't leave that child in the street and say, all right, go figure it out. She grabs that baby, she brings it into her arms, and she gives it the milk that it needs, and she cares for it, and she loves it, and she, and she invests in that child's life. And as he or she grows, she continues to, to develop and to teach and to, and to help them become, become adults. You see, after we have had the privilege of leading someone to Christ, God calls us to instruct them about believer's baptism. Now, notice I said believer's baptism. Because it's important that it's only those who have, been, have put their faith in Christ are candidates for baptism. We see this with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. As Philip came up to him and he shared the gospel with him. And he asked him, he said, What doth hinder me to be baptized And the eunuch? Uh, I, that was the eunuch's question, and Philip said, "If thou believest with all thine heart, he said, thou, thou mayest." Man, what a blessing it is! I remember—I I don't remember the day that I was able to be the exact date I was able to be baptized, but I remember the day. I remember that that moment when I was able to proclaim, "Listen, baptism didn't save me. Baptism, all it did, was proclaim to the world I belong to Jesus." Have you been baptized? If you've been saved, but you've never been scripturally baptized, it is so important and vital that you uh, would be willing to come to a local church and be baptized. Now listen, it's the local church that has the authority to baptize. I don't have it outside of the, the local church. That's when Christ commissioned us as a church to baptize, and that's why we as a church collectively decide to baptize, and we do that together. Now, let's move forward. The last one here is this word teach. And this last part of the verses says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So here we come to the second time the, the word teach is used. This time it's not about teaching the gospel itself, but teaching a new believer how to live the Christian life. Think about this with me. Uh, as as our children develop, they, we bring them into our home, and then we begin to teach them how to say words, mama, dad, All these great words. We teach them the right things to eat. We teach them. Uh, we help them learn how to walk. We teach them their letters. We teach them uh, how to read and write. We we begin to teach them, as uh, any good parent would. Well, as a new believer comes into the church. The reality is they don't automatically know everything there is about living the Christian life. They don't know all the truths of God's Word or how to walk with the Lord. They don't know what it means to be part of a church family. Or, Well, you can, the list could go on and on. You kind of get the idea. We need to be taught. And so just like a newborn baby needs nourishing care and, and it takes years to develop a successful young child, so a new believer takes time and patience as a church family comes around beside them and begins to nurture and to love and to teach and to help grow and to invest in their life. That's what God's called us to do. You know, if you're a little overwhelmed by the prospect of sharing all of these incredible truths with others, don't fear. Because Christ left us one remaining promise here. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What a great promise from our wonderful Savior. And He draws our attention right at the end of the commission that, listen, He's not going to leave us, He's not going to forsake us, and if we had to do the Great commission alone, the task would remain uh, ours to be able to... Uh, If it it was all up to us, we would never be able to accomplish the great commission. And He has called us, He's commissioned us, but He's also promised His presence. And so next time you're witnessing, remind yourself that Christ goes with you. You're not alone. As we look at this tonight, I'm reminded that God has called us to, to recognize this is a personal commission. And if we're going to go, we must also recognize there must be a personal plan. Every born-again person wants others to be saved. That's, that's all there is to it. We want, we want those who are lost to be saved. Every quick Christian who's walking with the Lord believes the Great Commission and wants it to be obeyed. But sometimes between that, that understanding and that obedience, sometimes it gets lost. Let me remind you what Hudson Taylor said, and I think we can show it on the screen there. The Great Commission isn't an option to be considered, it's a command to be obeyed. In other words, we are the ones that God wants uh, and wants to use today. So what does it take to do it? First off, we must be willing to make a commitment. Are you willing to say, I'm, I'm ready to walk. I'm ready to go, to win, to baptize. I, I want to be a part of this. These are verbs. It's, it's, these are action. They require action. And I'd encourage you, even, to, even right now, to pause and to say, God, I want to be a part of winning someone in 2021. I want my life to be able to to be an influence in someone's life. I want to sow the seed. I want to see the harvest. God, I want this to be part of my life. Because as a believer, God, I hunger and I thirst that others might know Jesus as their Savior. Secondly, set a plan. Now, if you remember with me 2021 or 2020, every plan seemed to be upset. Matter of fact, in my office, I have... Uh, Easter invite cards to the tune of 5,000 cards total that we ordered for Easter 2020. And we couldn't even send them out and invite people to church last year. Now, our plans don't always work out. But if we don't start with a plan, we're sure enough going to miss it every time. And so what I want to encourage you is to set a plan. Plan how you will accomplish that. This week has been an example of how plans get messed up. With 10 inches of snow on the ground, I wasn't planning necessarily my schedule to spend a lot of time pushing snow. But God is faithful, and He has something great. But if we never set a plan, if we never set a time, if we never remind ourselves of the urgency of the hour, then we will never take uh, an opportunity to invest in sharing the gospel with others. In marriage... For example, it's important to schedule time with your sweetheart. Not just Valentine's Day, men, but on a weekly or a monthly basis. It's time and it's important to schedule time with your sweetie. Don't miss it because you failed to plan. Put it in your calendar and keep it. Well, in the same way that you schedule that, schedule time to go and share the gospel. Maybe it's with a neighbor. You bake some cookies on a Saturday afternoon and take them by to the neighbor's house and say, listen, I just want you to know uh, that I'm thinking about you and I'm caring for you, and Jesus Christ died to save you. Man, what an incredible opportunity you you can have if you just set a plan and say, listen, God, I want to work that plan. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 1, we're reminded that Jesus was intentional about preaching the gospel. He planned specific times and He sent His disciples out with specific places in mind. And He says, And after these things the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before His face into every city and place whether He Himself would come. Listen, He planned, He prepared, and He sent them out to go. And so uh, as a church, we also are planning, we are also preparing. Matter of fact, as we look forward, and just prior to Easter, we're planning some outreach opportunities. March 27th, we invite you to be a part of a, a door-to-door campaign to be able to invite our neighbors to Easter. Uh, not only that, April 3rd, uh, be- the day before Easter, we want to be part of helping uh, show the love of Christ by distributing gift bags and Easter invites. Uh, at at gas pumps and and areas in our community. Later in May, we plan to give pizza to those in our community to be able to demonstrate the love of Christ to those around us. Listen, the, the key is we've got to continue to set a plan. We've got to continue to go. We've got to continue to be a part of reaching others with the gospel. But most importantly and lastly, we must seek God's help. I remember when I was in Bible college, I worked for Consumers Hardware on North Glenstone. And I didn't make very much. I definitely wasn't the day where there was $15 an hour minimum wage. I, I think it was more like $5, but I don't, I don't remember. And I made just a little over minimum wage. And my, my wife and I lived on that. And after a, a year or so, my boss made an a opportunity for us to be able to earn a little extra commission by selling Sun Twin heaters. Now, Sun Twins, are, I, I learned a lot about them. Everything I could learn about a Sun Twin heater, I learned. I learned how to work on them. I learned how they were made. I, I learned where they were manufactured right here in Springfield, Missouri. I learned the materials they built them out of. I learned everything I could about Sun Twin heaters because I wanted to earn that extra money. I wanted that extra commission to help to care for my family. But when it comes to sharing the gospel, it's important to be able to clearly explain salvation. It's important to know the gospel so we can share it. It's helpful to learn questions or statements that might bring people to consider spiritual truth. Ultimately, though, we need the help of God's Spirit. Witnessing is not salesmanship. It's dependent upon the power of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. It says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which tryeth our hearts. For neither at any time we used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Paul stated, listen, it wasn't about my flattering words, it wasn't about the things that I could manipulate, but instead it's just about sharing the gospel and trusting God that he would be able to, to perform the work. We often use the word soul-winning when referring to leading others to Christ, and it comes from Proverbs 11.30. It says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. And while we may be soul-winners in the human sense, the Holy Spirit is the true soul-winner. He is the only one that can convince souls of their need for salvation and, and of the penalty of sin and to put their faith in Him. In the book of John, Uh, Jesus says this of the role of the Spirit in John chapter 16 verses 8 through 11. It says, And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on Me. Of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more. Of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged. And so we recognize that we must prepare a message one of the many reasons people hold back and sharing the gospel is because they don't know what to say. They're not sure what they're supposed to share. And so over the next few weeks, this is going to be the direction that we travel, how to prepare the message, what the message is, how to prepare the message, how to present the message. That's our goal with, uh, to, over the next few weeks as we go forward in this series. And I want to encourage you, don't miss the remaining messages in, through this series. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3-4, through 4, lists for us what the gospel is. He says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, how that He was buried, and how that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. But trying to tell someone that can feel overwhelming. So we're going to share with you how to begin this conversation, how to communicate your message clearly so there's no misunderstanding. We're going to take time to go over that in the future. But tonight, it begins with a personal commitment. We've talked about the sower. We've talked about excuses we've often used. We've talked about how the seed, the message has the power. We've talked about the soils of the heart. But listen, each of us are equally called. Not just the preacher, the missionary, not just the Sunday school teacher. All of us together. If you are a believer today, God has called you to be a witness of the truth of Jesus. God called Ezekiel. He reminded him that he made him a watchman to proclaim to the house of Israel. And today we are called by God to proclaim this truth. He told Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word of my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the wicked man shall die in his iniquity, But his blood will all require thine hand. Each of us are called to personally witness to the gospel, witness to the lost, to share with them the hope of Jesus.